The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. Revelation chapter 7 this morning. If you are just visiting with us for the first time, you have come at an interesting time. (laughs) Revelation is not a book that is often taught through, um, at least not in the way that we are doing it, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, And when you get from 6 to 18, it's really hard. A lot of judgments are being poured out and trying to understand it, there's, it can be a little bit challenging. So if you're visiting, buckle up, stick with us, ask your questions. God is big enough to answer all of your questions, even these. As I've been going through Revelation, there's times where there's just points of just great worship. I mean, we look after we get through the churches and we get to chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see the scene of heaven and we see worship and you're just like, oh, the throne room of God and this great worship. And as I've been studying ahead of you guys to prepare for these things, I'm in this season where I'm just seeing great tribulation. And in the midst of that, there's still worship happening. And there's times where I'm just like, praise God, like look at who he is and how awesome and right his judgments are and this is so amazing and and just seeing God for who God is and there's times when I'm reading and I read about the judgments that are being poured out on the earth and I think oh God people will perish they will suffer they will go through this they will They will go to their demise, to their end. They will be separated, eternally cut off. Oh, Lord, like as it said in the last chapter, who can stand? No one can stand. And I sit here and I think, oh, Lord, I don't want anyone I know to have to suffer like this. And it's so easy to go through a book study like this and just be like, oh, yeah, it's future. Yeah, it's great. And and, and one danger we have as a church looking at this as a futuristic Premillennial is like, well, we're going to be raptured out of here. It's all good. Like, I don't have to worry about it. But people won't all be raptured out of here. There will be people that the judgments will be poured out. The, the seals will be opened. The trumpets will blow. The bowls will be poured out. And have we, as the church, done all that we could to make sure that people hurt? There's a quote by one preacher that said, if sinners are to go to hell, may they have to go there by leaping over our dead bodies. May they go with our arms wrapped around their knees, that hell would not be populated because we didn't try, that we didn't do everything possible before they went. Church, I think too often, We're complacent to sit. We worship and we thank God for our salvation. And as Andre was saying, and as we'll see today, we don't want to take that salvation for granted. It should move us. It should stir us. Today is a great scene because we have the 144,000. We have worship again in heaven. This is a great chapter, but it is right before we get to chapter 8, and that starts some hard stuff again. And so as we get to seven, we're going to see God doing some awesome things and bringing some stuff together, getting ready for the end of the seals and the beginning of the trumpets. And we'll try to put it all in context. But my hope is as we're taking the Lord's Supper today and as we're looking at this chapter, that it would stir you that you would see just as these believers in chapter 7 are marked with a purpose that he calls out, you have been marked with a purpose, and we'll see that. 
And are we living in that purpose? Are we living to the fullness of what God has called us to do? So if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to open them to chapter 7 to read along with me. Uh, If you would like to take the Bible in the chair in front of you because you don't have one, that's a gift to you. You may have that. You may take it home. Um, The red ones are the big letter ones. I'm very quickly approaching the need for that myself. Um, Or you can follow on the screen as I read. Chapter 7, starting in verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God, of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the seal, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Nephtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, and er from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, who are, the, who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord for us. Will you pray with me quickly? Father, we just ask that as we get into this chapter, that you would just illuminate it. Would you teach us? Holy Spirit, come and and teach us. Point us to the Lamb and our God who sits on the throne. May we see clearly that you are good and your plan is perfect and you are worthy. May we be stirred to worship as we worship through the word. May we be stirred to follow what we see here in heaven, emulating worship in heaven. God, just work in us individually. Start rooting out those areas that keep us from you, that keep us from worshiping you as these are worshiping. May we rejoice, we too, who have made our robes white in the blood of the Lamb. So we ask, God, that you would... Teach us as we go through this chapter this morning. 
We ask this, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Verses 1 through 3, this is what we, we read. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So we see here there's four angels, and they're holding back the, the winds of the earth. And they, it says they're on the four corners of the earth. So we know that that's symbolic. We all, the earth is round, and how do you have a square circle and all that kind of stuff? It's symbolic. They're standing on the edges of the earth. They're holding back the winds. Now the question is, what kind of winds are we talking about? Is this winds that are symbolic of judgment? Or are these actual winds? So they could be winds that are a figure of speech here where it's talking about judgment. That's pretty normal that we see that in the scriptures. Hosea chapter 13 verse 15 says this, though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come rising from the wilderness and his fountain shall dry up, his springs shall be parched, it shall strip away his treasury for every precious thing. And so here in Hosea, when Ephraim has fallen into uh, idolatry, this image of wind coming and drying up his, his, the blessing that he has, this judgment would come. It could also refer back to the horsemen of chapter 6, like Zechariah chapter 6, 1 through 8 says this, Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. And the first chariot had a red horse, and the second black horses, the third white horses, the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, what are these things, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, these are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes towards the north country. The white wind goes after them. And the dappled one go toward the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then they cried to me, behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. So we see here in Zechariah something that's very similar to the four horsemen of the apocalypse that we saw in the previous chapter where there's this sense of judgment coming and the, the horses. And so this idea of the angels holding back the winds could be holding back some of this judgment that's, being, uh, that's taking place here. The, as the seals are being opened, they, they stop and they're holding back judgments in the Zechariah passage, the, the word spirit in Hebrew is ruach. Uh, and I'm probably saying that incorrectly, but um, it, it translates to wind. It's the idea of wind. The spirit is moving, the wind. But it also could be literal. Think about that for Okay, so figuratively, they're holding back judgments. They're about to bring judgment on the earth. And another angel says, wait, don't bring judgment. Hold on. Or it could be a literal thing that's happening here. The angels stopped the winds. Imagine that for a minute. They just stopped the winds. No wind blowing on the earth. Just an a eerie calm at first. It wouldn't matter for the first couple of days. If the winds stop, you'd be like, oh. It'd start getting really hot around the equator, though. And it'd get really cold at the poles. You'd have freezing and heat. The winds would not circulate. Water, without the winds, would evaporate and only fall right back to where it evaporated from. So those of you who are living out on the lakes, good. You're going to have water. If the angels hold back the winds in the dry areas, they will not get rains. They will just get drier and drier. So 
this could bring great havoc to the earth. So here they are holding back the winds. It could be figurative. It could be literal. Whether it's figurative for judgments or literal, I also want you to notice that these angels are given a job. They have a job to strike the earth and the sea. That's what they have been appointed to do. And they do this job. They're ready to do their job. They're ready to come and strike the earth with the judgments of the Lord. They're ready to come and strike the sea. And another angel comes and says, wait, don't do your job yet. So this other angel that comes has authority to command the four that are holding the winds. And so what we start to see here, Revelation is a book full of angels if you haven't noticed already, and we see a lot about angels in Revelation, and we start to see that there's structure, and there's hierarchy, and there's authority given to some over others, and they do their jobs. They all have been given different roles, and here one comes with authority to tell them to wait, and it's much, we see this like in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. That there's rulers and authorities, there's powers, there's, there's a structure in the heavens. We see Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So we see that there is a hierarchy here. There's a structure here. There's an angel coming who has authority to command these other four angels in this moment to wait, to stop to not do their job, but to hold off for a moment. So some have thought that this may be uh, like Michael, the archangel. We don't know. It doesn't tell us who this angel is. We know that Gabriel was a messenger. We know that Michael is an archangel. We know that Michael in Jude, verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, is one chapter, but... When the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, Satan is a fallen angel, and some think that he is also an archangel, or at least one time was an archangel. So here you have two angels facing off over the body of Moses, and one says to the other, the Lord rebuke you. And so there's this... The sense of we see structure, we see order, we see that God has put these angels in place and one comes and tells these others to wait. It gives us an insight into the heavenly realm. When we're praying, when we're doing spiritual warfare and our, on our knees praying, like we're, we're talking about the rulers and authorities and the powers in the heavenlies. So this angel... As he comes down, he tells the others to wait, and they hold, and he holds the seal of God. And he will seal the servants of God on their foreheads. So as he tells them to wait, he comes down, he says he's holding the seal of God, and he tells them to wait until they seal the servants. Now, the seal would show that these are authentic servants. These are the Lord's. These are his. He has authority over them. They belong to him. He is placing the mark of God on them. In short, they belong to God. Nothing can touch them once they are marked unless God allows that to happen. It's similar to what happens to us when we come by faith and put our trust in Jesus. We too are sealed. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee 
of our inheritance. And so we are sealed with the Holy Spirit when we come by faith. Marked. Inhabited by God. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. Sometimes it's called the Spirit of Christ. And so it's easy to say, Christ in me. Christ lives in me. Yeah, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in me, marked me, sealed me. I have an inheritance that's guaranteed because God has guaranteed it. By faith I come, I believe, and he seals me by his Spirit. So it's very similar to what's happening here. This, this group is hearing the gospel and they're being marked, this 144,000 that will come out of, this, out of these tribes. Now we're going to get a little further down the road and we're going to hear about two witnesses. And, and my thought is this, that there are two witnesses that will show up at the beginning of the tribulation. I'm not going to jump ahead, but I'm just kind of a little teaser. There's two witnesses that will come, and they are going to be preaching the gospel. They're going to be preaching about judgment. They're going to be preaching about salvation in Messiah, in Christ. And this 144,000, I believe, probably through the hearing of what is being preached and seeing Jesus as Messiah, are coming to faith, and they are being marked for a purpose. So we see them being marked here, but they're coming. They have faith in Christ. They have faith in Messiah. They are being sealed. So the servants are sealed at the beginning of the tribulation. This 144,000 come at the beginning of the tribulation. And they will endure all the way to the end. Not one will be lost. And so it's speculative in my mind, but my thought is this, that when these two witnesses are preaching, everyone's going to see it. I mean, we see everything nowadays on, on social media, don't we? These people are going to hear of these two great witnesses. These Jews are going to hear that there's two Jewish witnesses preaching outside the city gate where Christ was crucified, and they're going to hear this preaching. They're going to hear the, the gospel, and they're going to be like, yes. And they're not going to be like, well, we had the 12,000 from this tribe all gathered together, and the 12,000 were here, and then they all just showed. No, like, I think God knows right where these tribes are. He knows right where these 12,000s out of each of the tribes are, and they're going to hear this. They're going to receive the gospel, and the angel is going to be sealing them, marking them for the purpose that they have, which is to preach the gospel in the, in the tribulation. So we get to see who these servants are. We get to see exactly where they come from. So here we have these Jews coming to faith. Before I jump into verse 4, I want us to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 say this, and this is going to be about us. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's about you. That's about me. We have a purpose. We have been sealed. Look at this. He says, we were not a people. We were apart from God. We were away from God, and he has brought us near through Christ by what he has done, he has made us his own. We are his people. And we have received mercy. And we are working to share Christ with the nations. He says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Your good deeds are to be seen. Word and action. Like You have been marked. You have been sealed. You are chosen to go forth and proclaim the excellencies of him who calls all into his marvelous light. That's, that's our job, church. Like, that's our purpose. Like, that's what we're supposed to be doing. 
sharing Christ. And just as this 144,000 are marked for the tribulation to do this great job that they have, we have been marked, church, to go and do this job, to go and let people know that there is salvation in no one else but Christ Jesus. Verses four through eight, John hears the number. So I'm not gonna read through all of that, but he says, I heard the number uh, of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, 12,000, and he starts going through the tribes from Judah, from Reuben, from Gad, from Asher, Nephtali, and so forth. So he hears the number from the tribes. So these are marked as children of Israel. Now, some have said that this may be the church, but I don't believe so because the church is never called the children of Israel. So here, John knows exactly who these are. These are coming from the tribes. These are children of Israel. These are Jewish believers. These are ones being called out. And so we look at this list and we see that God is calling out of these tribes people to himself for this great purpose, 144,000 witnesses. But we look at it and we say, wait a minute, this doesn't quite look like others. There's somebody missing. Who's missing? And some of you are Revelation scholars. Who's missing from the lineup? Anybody know? Dan. Dan's missing. Why is Dan missing? Well, I can't actually answer that question. (laughs) But I can give you some thoughts Dan is replaced by Levi. Levi usually doesn't show up in the list because Levi was one who ministered to all of Israel. He didn't get an inheritance of the land. He was of the priests. He was to help everyone come and worship. So he usually is not in this lineup when we hear this in the Old Testament. But here, Levi shows up, and Levi is brought into this. Dan is missing, And we also see something else different. We see that there is the tribe of Joseph. Well, Joseph was given a double blessing, and actually his sons end up in the the list, and you have Manasseh and Ephraim. Well, who's missing out of the two sons? Ephraim. And Joseph is placed there. So we have two people that don't show up in the list. And the question is like, why do these two not show up in the list? Well, here's a couple of thoughts as to why. Again, it's speculative, but I'm just putting it out there for your consideration, and and there are some scriptures that kind of back some of these thoughts. First is Dan. Uh, It's seen as potentially prophetic in Genesis 49, verses 16 through 18. It says this, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel, and Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. So this is a prophetic word spoken over Dan by his father at the end of his life. So the tribes are being blessed And so Dan gets this blessing. You're going to be a viper in the path. Gee, thanks, Dad. (laughs) And so the thought is that out of Dan, not only was there rebellion, he moves into idolatry and idol worship in the north, and he pulls Israel into idolatry and causes great judgment on himself. Uh, But also the thought is that he will have the Antichrist coming from him. Now, the idea of him being the judge of his people, the near, so like we said in Revelation, there's usually a near and far uh, prophetic word that's spoken. The near of this is actually Samson. Samson's a judge of Israel, and he's from the tribe of Dan. And Samson, I think, could fill this verse pretty well, that he, by his character and who he is, is a viper who plagues his people, But at the end, when Samson is blind and wanting to have vengeance on the Philistines who have have blinded him and and keep him as a souvenir, so to speak, he's placed in 
in the place where they're all having this great party. His hands are on the pillars, and he says, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Give me strength to bring one more judgment, one more. And so the near fulfillment of this could be through Samson. The far fulfillment could be that out of Dan comes one who is the Antichrist, who will cause great pain to his brothers. Uh, Daniel chapter 11, verse 37, it says, he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers. So I have spoken this before where I think the Antichrist actually is Jewish and will come out of a Jewish uh, heritage, and so he will pay no attention to the God of his fathers. That's usually how it's spoken in, when it's speaking of the Jews. His fathers, he, he ignores that. Jeremiah eight sixteen also gives us the, the snorting of their horses is heard from Dan at the sound of the neighing of their stallions. The whole land quakes. So the idea of the, the horse, the white horse, the white rider coming and, and capturing. But God is good. I want to show you how good God is. Because he, if, if this is true, what I'm saying, God doesn't forget about Dan. Because look at Ezekiel chapter 48. This is in the new, this is in the millennial reign. These are the names of the tribes beginning at the northern extreme beside the way of Hethlon to Lebo Hamath as far as Hazar Anan, which is in the northern border of Damascus over against Hamath and extending from the east side to the west, Dan, one portion adjoining the territory of Dan from the east side to the west, Asher. One portion. We see in the millennial kingdom that Dan gets the portion. So there will be Jews saved out of this tribe, but they're not given this task. There will be brothers and sisters saved and coming to Messiah from the tribe of Dan, but they're not given this honor, probably because of their idolatry. Ephraim, the same, is the thought that because Ephraim pulled uh, Israel into idolatry in the south, we see in Hosea chapter 4, verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols, leave him alone. Ephraim has joined himself to idols, and they were to have nothing to do with him. And then in Hosea 13, verses 12 through 14, it says this, the iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son. For at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. Shall I ransom them from the powers of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where is your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes." And so we see Ephraim in judgment, and there's the thought that the reason Ephraim and Dan are omitted here is because of the idolatry that they brought to the other tribes, how they pulled them away. So we have 144,000 Jewish witnesses. Again, why do I think they're Jews? Because they're called the children of Israel. They have a tribal affiliation. We see that in verses 4 through 8. So it's clear that they come out of these tribes. If we go over to chapter 14, we're going to see some things. In chapter 14, 1, it says this about the 144,000. Did I give you all the 14 ones? I didn't give you the 14 ones. I just realized it as I was going through it because they're not underlined in my thing. 14.1, it says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So they're protected. This 144 are actual people. This number will make it through. It's not a symbolic number. It's an actual number of people that God has sealed. And they are standing here in chapter 14 with the Lamb. And so here they are, and they have been brought through. Uh, the group is also uh, has some distinguishing features. In verse 4, it goes on to say this about them. I can't see. That's what it says. Verse 4 says, It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is 
These who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, these have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth is no lie, in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. And so here they are celibate. They have not partaken in sexual immorality. They're part of a great harvest that is happening, and that great harvest comes out of Romans chapter 11, the, the, the bringing in of the Jews, the fullness of the Jews coming in. They're part of that great harvest that happens during the tribulation. So the fullness of Gentiles is made full, and the church is raptured, and the Jews become jealous for Messiah, and we see them coming in. 144 are part of that harvest, and then marked by integrity and faithfulness. So these are actual markers, distinctions of who they are. So we have this group of witnesses, but then we get to verse 9 and 10. I'm looking at that clock. Is that right? 10 to 11? 5 to 11? You guys aren't going anywhere, right? Nine and ten, it says this. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. A great multitude, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So there's this great multitude. It's innumerable to John. He can't count it. So you go from 144 that are distinct and countable to this great multitude that no one can count, and they're standing before God, and they're worshiping, and they're giving praise to God, and they have palm branches in their hands. And so John sees this, and they are from all over the earth. So in the midst of the seals being broken, the trumpets about to blow, the bowls still yet to come, we see that God has put a witness. The Jewish people are this witness to the gospel. And people are receiving Jesus during this time. Even in the midst of judgment, there's grace. There's mercy. He's, he's gone forth and said, here is the gospel of of the great son, the lamb of heaven, you can be saved. So a multitude has been saved. They don't worship the beast. They don't take the mark. They, they come. They receive salvation. It says they're clothed in white robes. It looks much like Revelation chapter 6, verse 11. Those saved during the tribulation we see there. It reminds us of those saved are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, this idea of white robes being clothed in his righteousness. It tells us in Corinthians that, that he who knew no sin, Christ, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that we might be clothed in his righteousness. So this word white, le, le, leukos, Man, I'm, I'm just killing my Greek and my Hebrew today. Sorry about that. Leukos, it's light, bright, brilliant, dazzling. It's this idea of radiant. It's, it's shining. It's not just like they used the Tide Pods and they got it really white with no stains. Like it is, it is glowing white. It's the radiant righteousness of Jesus coming off of them. What, what you're seeing is reflecting the glory of God. They are in these robes that reflect the righteousness of Christ. They have been made white by the blood of the Lamb. And so here we see that multitude clothed in the righteousness of Christ, waving palm branches. That's just reminiscent of the triumphal entry, yeah? Jesus coming in, people waving palm branches, so it's a sign of victory. The lamb has brought victory. They, they've won. They have victory here. That's the point. Here's, here's this multitude worshiping, and they have palm branches saying that, that the one who has saved them has, is the victor. He's the one who has, has brought them this victory. 
That victory is salvation that comes only through Christ. That's the victory, the salvation that comes through Christ. So the question that's already been asked is, do we take our salvation for granted? Do you take your salvation for granted? I mean, look at the worship when they think about what the Lamb has done for them. They're not talking about anything else other than he has saved us. He's clothed us in righteousness. They're waving palm branches. He's victorious over sin and death. He has made us a people unto himself. He's brought us near. We were far off. He's, he's rescued us. And they're just worshiping. Do we take our salvation for granted? The, the saints in heaven are not. The saints in heaven are, are worshiping. When we think about the gift of grace given to us in Christ, are we moved to worship? I think very often we're just kind of like, yeah, Jesus saved me. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I got, I got a hope in heaven, and, but I'm really focused on this sanctification part right now. You know, we think about what God can do for us in this moment right now. Or that. It's like, no, the, just take a moment, step back and say, Christ saved me. He rescued me. There's, there's no guilt or shame anymore. There's no condemnation. I, I have a hope that is secure. I have been sealed by the Spirit. Like, He has rescued me from the wrath that I deserve. When we think about that great salvation, when we take the Lord's Supper, that's what we're doing. We're thinking about that great salvation. We're, we're remembering it, and we're worshiping. We should be stirred, and we should be saying, others need to know this. So when we were missionaries in Lithuania, uh, we had a, I'll try to get through this story without crying. We had a dear friend of ours who we hired to be our secretary. And so she actually did a lot of my translating with Bethany for my sermons because I was preaching every Sunday and I would, you know, write my sermons and, and then she would read them with Bethany and then she would have all these questions. She's, she wasn't a believer. She didn't have biblical terminology and she was like, well, maybe this word. And we're like, no, it can't be that word. And she's like, well, why can't it be that word? And then we start talking about who Jesus is and, and what the Bible says about Jesus. And, and, we, and we were just explaining who God is and how he loves her and how he's calling her. And she's like, oh, I never heard that before. Oh, I never seen that before. And so she's like, oh yeah, well, the right Lithuanian word would be this. And like, so she was helping us. And, and, and we were having this opportunity to disciple her and, and, and preach Christ to her. And she became so dear to our kids, they called her Aunt Agne, Tete Agne. And we were driving down the street one day, and we were talking with Caleb about the difference between believers and non-believers, and, and we used a real simple analogy. We said, it's kind of like plain and peanut M&Ms. <laughs> And he's like, well, what do you mean? We're like, okay, well, well, everybody's an M&M. Everybody's, you know, like a plain M&M. You know, they're different colors, but they're all the same on the inside. And it's like, so we're, that's people. But when they receive Jesus, they get something else. They get the Holy Spirit. They, they become a peanut M&M. <laughs> it's like, well, I like peanut M&M. Like, I want to be a peanut M&M. And he's like, all right, all right. So, like, he's processing this. He's thinking through, oh. And he's like, Okay, so what does that mean? And we said, so you know when we get together and we say this person's a brother in Christ or this is a sister in Christ, we say, okay, so the reason we use that term is because they're in Jesus. Like, they're, they're peanut M&Ms. We say they're in, in Christ. And he's like, oh, okay. And so he's thinking through this, and he's like, well, is this person my brother in Christ? We're like, I don't know. I don't know that person. I don't know if they've received Jesus. He's like, how about this person? And we're like, I don't know. And he says, oh, well, Tete Agne. Tete Agne, she's got to be my sister. We call her Aunt Agne. Like, we call her Tete. Like, she's got to be a peanut. And we're like, no. She's not your sister in Christ because she hasn't received Jesus. She hasn't repented of sin. She hasn't said yes to him. She understands, but she hasn't said yes. And at that moment, little Caleb puts his hands on Bethany's face, and he's like, Mom, they've got to know. Like, they got to know. And in that moment, he realized why we were on the mission field. <laughs> Church, you're on the mission field. Right now, you're on the mission field. This is your harvest field. And people need to know. They need to know. And so, 
Don't take your salvation for granted. Let it stir you to tell others of this great salvation, that they could be worshipers like we see here in heaven. Verses 11 and 12. In this, we see everybody gets involved. Verse 11. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. So they see the multitude that no one can count from the tribulation that have been saved out of the tribulation, waving palm branches and saying, victory belongs to the Lamb. They have been saved in the midst of horrific judgment. They are standing there in the throne room of God, worshiping, and the angels, all the angels in this moment says that they are there. All the angels of God and the elders and the four living creatures, and they all worship too. And it says they just fall on their face. Just humbly low in the midst of God that he is worthy. There's no one greater. Their posture just shows how worthy he is. Sometimes in worship, we can feel that way. We could be in a prayer meeting or we could be worshiping or singing and we just gotta get low. We just feel like I can't even, if I could get under this carpet, I would. Like, I just wanna be there because God is so worthy. That's what happens. They see the worship and they're just brought low. And they worship. And then they add to the worship. And they say, let it be so. Like what they have said, we say yes to that. Amen to that. And then they add blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Well, then one of the elders comes over to John and he says, you know who these are. And I love John because he's... he's like, in this moment, I'm like, yeah, he's a regular dude just like me. People are like, hey, you know so-and-so. And you're like, oh, yeah. And they're like, well, you know. And then you're like, well, you know, you know. Like, I don't want to say I don't know, but I'm just like, oh, you know who it is. Like, you know what's going on. Like, the elder comes over, he's like, who are these people? And you're like, ah, you know. You know who they are. You know, like, he, <laughs> he's just like, I have no idea who these people are. Like, I see this, but you know who they are. Like, the elder asks him, does he understand what he's seeing? And so in verses 13 and 14, he says that these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And he says, therefore, there's a great blessing for them. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Look how intimate this is. They're before him. He shelters them with his presence. They won't hunger. They don't thirst anymore. Coming out of this great tribulation where there was suffering and hunger and famine and pestilence and sword, they won't hunger or thirst anymore. They will not be harmed by anything. The sun will not strike them. All of the, all the judgments that happened on the earth, none of that to worry of ever again. They will not strike them. They will not even be scorched by heat. The lamb in the midst of the throne is their shepherd, and he will guide them to living waters, and God will wipe wipe away every tear from their eyes. God gives them the special honor of serving in the heavenly throne room of God. It says day and night. Now, not everyone will be given this honor. There's different roles, like I said, that this, these tribulation saints have the honor of worshiping before God and being in the throne room day and night. And then others will have different things that are given to them. I think of Revelation chapter 5 verse 10. It says, and you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is talking about the church. This is the church that's raptured will come back with Christ and will reign on the earth. So some will be in heaven worshiping, tribulation saints, worshiping and ministering to God always before his throne. And the church, when Christ returns, will come with him and we will be reigning with him on the earth. There's places and, and things that God does. There's blessings that God gives. And these are good and right. So don't get... Don't be coveting because in this moment you won't covet. You'll be like, this is perfect. This is exactly as it should be. So God gives them special comfort. He gives them a special place. He's given you comfort in Christ and he's given you a special place. And he's given us all a mission. So we're going to close our service by remembering that great salvation, that great comfort, and that purpose that he's put on you and that he sealed you 
for something greater. He sealed you to go and share Christ with those who are groping in darkness, that they would come in and receive him and have his marvelous light shine on them. So will you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then we uh, are going to take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, before I pray, let me just say this. The Lord's Supper is for those of us who have confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior, publicly made a profession of faith. Jesus has saved me. He is my Lord and Savior. If you have done that, maybe not in this fellowship, but in another fellowship, if you have publicly professed Jesus as your Savior, you may come and partake with us. For what we are saying is that is Jesus and Jesus only who saves. His body was broken for sinners. His blood was shed for sinners. And those who come by faith have the gift of salvation extended to them through Christ. And we partake of this remembering that great salvation. So if you have been saved, if you have received Christ, you may come and partake of the Lord's Supper with us as we do this. And here you go, sorry. And um, after I pray... Take a moment to just ask God to remove anything that there is between you and him, that you would not make a mockery of the table, that you would come clean of heart, clean of mind to say, Lord, I just want to worship you this day. Those things that need to be forgiven, forgive me. I want to come. I want to receive this Lord's table, remembering the great work you did, not making a mockery of it, not belittling it and making, making it less, but exalting in it, exalting in my Savior. And so come with the right heart when you're ready. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this scene of the 144,000. And Lord, I just feel like there's so much. We could, just, we could just sit in this for a long time just trying to understand. But you're so good. You've shown us that you have set us apart and you have given us a purpose. You've sealed us with your spirit. So we come asking God that you would just stir us to worship as we see those in heaven worshiping. Unashamed of the gospel, it is the power of salvation. That we would come and worship to you as we take the table, as we sing, as we pray, that you would be glorified. And Father, would you send us out, send us out to fulfill that good purpose. We come now as we worship at the table, as we sing worship and praise to you, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.